podcast at Ground Zero is presented to you by the Apocalypse. Because without the Apocalypse we wouldn't be doing this show. Friends of the Apocalypse, this is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the Apocalypse for episode eight zero. That is eighty. Uh, uh, off topic. Oh my god! It's like, see, it was so off topic that I couldn't even think of what we called it. Well, it has been a while since we've done anything, much less a rambling off topic episode. Yes, folks. Yes, we are back. Uh, you know, besides you know our normal excuses like life. Uh, the universe and everything. Uh, we also ran into, again, technology problems as as usual. So, if you're listening to this and you just listen to the podcast, so there should be no, no change for you. So, uh, but for the people who watch it on YouTube, there will be a change because we used to record them using. Well, originally it was Google Hangouts. Then when they put it on YouTube, it became YouTube on Air, uh, and that was a format where we could record multiple people at the same time and stream it live and record it you know that's that's kind of how we did it but in their wisdom uh google because it again it's google uh decided to get rid of uh that and it's only streaming now uh because youtube's about streamers and influencers and all those other kind of a-holes you know which we don't care about we just wanted to use it to record our podcast so uh so there's no way to do it like we did before uh, because their thing is only a streaming, a single person, and you have to do all this other BS, and it just doesn't work. So we were doing a little research to find another tool to be able to record uh, effectively ourselves or maybe multiple people at the same time. So this is the first show doing that, and we'll see how it comes out. I think it'll be successful, but, you know, that's where we're at, folks. So, um, so as usual, you know, uh, no guests. Uh, we haven't done those in a while. It's just, you know... The Apocalypse Nerd and Adam Bomb Glancy uh, coming to you live from the Apocalypse. So, uh, all right. So, or, off- if not our, if not the Apocalypse, at least our respective bunkers. Yes, yes. Uh, with your funny flag that people make comments about because they don't know what the f it was, you know. But really? um, has everyone forgotten what the big scary was back in the eighties? Well, no, no, because they're like, I've never seen a flag like that because it's a banner. It's not yeah, a flag. It's not a, yeah, exactly. It's, it's meant to be hung uh, the way it is. You couldn't fly it from a flagpole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, as usual, people don't know what they're talking about because it's the Internet. So uh, yeah. welcome to the Internet. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I encountered that recently with um, I, um, I was doing an eBay auction for some original uh D and D dice uh, for those of you who are gamers. The original dice uh, that came in the original sets, like I think, it, I think they might have come in the later white box sets, and then definitely the Holmes edition sets for basic uh, Dungeons and Dragons. They were the five dice that were really cheap, and kind of the edges wore off. They were just really oh, crap. very quickly. You were rolling spheres before you know well, a couple years were done. Yeah, but 
those are the dice that were available when we started playing. Uh, the dice industry isn't what it is now, just like the gaming industry and the RPG industry and the board game industry and blah, 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 you know, which also makes me think about, um, I'll, I'll come back to my other, my sidetrack. Um, we, um, so I posted across a couple of groups and I'll, and I had, I had a dice set original and it was still sealed in the bag and all these people were jumping in. That's bullshit that's not sealed those are you know they're inked in and they're not the original dice and oh yeah yeah the numbers are inked in like somebody's taking ink and because that's how they came from the factory so all these people are jumping in not knowing anything about the history of the game that they profess to love so much because that's always my big beef you get all these casuals in here who just don't they don't know anything, you know, and they're like, "Good news, it's not right. It's like, yeah, it was. And I had a couple of people, old timers, old, old guard jump in. It's and like, be like, no, he's, he's right. So, but anyway, um, you know what it made me think of back in the day, Scott, what yeah. was a, what was a fairly common thing you saw people using for a dice bag? I'm talking late seventies, early eighties. Oh what was, my God. Uh, do I have one around here? Crown Royal. Crown was Royal. The, Crown Royal was the classic eighties dice bag. And and why that? And I've seen a lot of people because you know they sell them individually now. And um, the bags, yeah. yeah, they sell they sell the bags different colors. And people are like again, it's kind of like the whole appendix N issue. But but people are like, oh, the Royal Crown bag, the Royal Crown uh, Crown Royal bags, and blah blah blah. And they don't really understand the history. They just think that you know, it's one of those things like it's just this. Uh, Legend. Wait a are you saying that they thought the bag existed and didn't know the booze existed in the bag? No, no, no. I'm just saying that they didn't understand why people use them. Um, they, you know, they don't understand the history behind it because, again, in the late 70s, and even the early 80s, guess what? There wasn't like 30 companies making dice bags. No, no. We got whatever we could. We'd Ziploc if we had to. Yeah. It's you like know. people. People like just because I see the way people commenting about him, they're like, "Oh, it's so cool!" Like this, their attitude towards like, well, you know, they just they did it out of um, necessity. Yeah. You know, it and wasn't. If be and if they're doing it now, it's because of nostalgia for our yeah. necessity. Yeah, exactly. So that's my little tirade. But all right, that's all. That's all the non. Oh, there'll be more tirades, but they'll be apocalypse based. From oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll try to be apocalyptic. So. Uh, let's see here. A couple of things I'll just touch on real quick were, uh, Kickstarters. Um, mine uh, they... failed. Mine failed. We should point out that the one to make my movie that was in no way, shape or form a Delta green movie failed. So, um... Oh, Oh, was that, that was your Kickstarter? Well, I was, I worked on it with Aaron. But Aaron Vanek was running the Kickstarter. Oh, okay. You were just... Uh, yeah, if, I, if, if the Kickstarter succeeded, I would have gotten paid for my script. It did not succeed, so I do not get paid for my script. Oh, I thought you were just a pretty, you were just a pretty face, you know? <laughs> well, that too, obviously. Obviously. So, a uh, couple of Kickstarters. There is a Kickstarter currently going on, and I'm, it's got 10 days left. I want to see if I could maybe get the guy and we could do a show with him. Um, it's a guy named Dan Smith. He's an artist uh, who's been around for a while in the, in the gaming industry. And he originally did, uh, a Kickstarter for a solo game. 
Um, this one is called 3045, an apocalyptic fantasy 5x7 dungeon card set. Uh, he basically did one that was fantasy, that basically it's a 5x7 card. There's a character on it. There's a, a map on one side. Um, and uh, and then on the other side, there's like your adventure. It's like five or six different points. So basically, you're, you're just kind of going through the map. It's a simple little five minutes of your time roll a couple of dice, you know, and you try to defeat the monsters. And then if you defeat them, you could go on to the, the, you know, use that character and level them up and go through all the other dungeons. You know, it's just a simple, quick little thing. Sometimes I, I, I have the fantasy when I played at lunch sometimes, you know, just to kill some time, but he's doing one that's uh, post-apocalyptic. So, uh, I back that one and, uh, you know, it looks interesting because again, it's, it's post-apocalyptic. And then there was a couple of things that people might have, might've missed, but you know, I did post them on the um, on the blog. Was we've talked about uh, Jan Strand and Richard Corbin's uh, Mutant yeah. World in the past. Uh, they did a Kickstarter for a deluxe hardcover edition of Mutant World, combined with Son of Mutant World. Son of Mutant World was came out as a comic book. Um, I think originally in France and then in the states. That was like in a collection. Like the magazine had a bunch of different stories in it. It was like an anthology, and uh, uh, Son of Mutant World was in there. But you know, it was on cheap print paper and all this other stuff. So now they're bringing it back with um, totally reinked, better paper. Like he's working like with I guess uh, Richard Corbin's daughter does inking and stuff like that. So they're bring putting it all together in this nice. Uh, collection you know so hopefully you know people are listening saw the post on that one and got behind that one because it's it's a good story and you know support the artist there and there was also a aftermath kickstarter for aftermath yes. for aftermath miniatures for those of you who are old gamers there was a game called aftermath uh which we've talked about many times and it was done by fantasy games unlimited so uh, they did a Kickstarter because the cover has uh, a picture of a guy in like some armor and a rifle and a woman behind him with a pistol. Very iconic cover. They made miniatures uh, for those two figures, plus a bunch of other uh, stuff like master rats and stuff that's in the in the game. But the coolest thing was that they did the uh, the characters on the front. Uh, the guys in England, and he actually, you know, they're not three D printed. He actually cast them. He made the molds and he cast them. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I appreciate. If you're going to do a, an homage to an old school game, doesn't it feel right? Doesn't it feel right to do it using old school techniques? Yes, yes, it does. And I believe he still has them available for sale. It's um, their website is Putty Monkey, like P U T T Y M O N K E Y, PuttyMonkey.com. So if you wanted to get your hands on any of those, on any of those, because again, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm going to be sending a, a set over to Mr. Two sets over to Mr. Glancy, and he's going to paint one of those up for me because I am incapable of painting miniatures. And uh, Scott has all the hardware to do that kind of stuff. So, yep. Then I get three minis and Jared gets uh, well painted minis that I believe you're going to, you're going to mount those on little, uh, little uh, polished uh, lacquered stands or something. Is that the plan? 
Uh, no, I'm just going to keep them separate. They did they did have a stand that was a resin stand, and I decided not to get it. But now I'm like, maybe I should have got it. But yeah, what do you get? What are you going to do? Maybe, or maybe or maybe I'll still get it. I don't know because uh, you know I get this order from his website. But um, got it. So those are a couple of Kickstarters that um, I ran across. I wanted to talk about that, but uh, we have all kinds of other things to talk about. We got some literature to talk about. Scott's done some reading and some stuff. He's going to talk. Well, let him. Uh, I'll let you. But <laughs> can you <laughs> stop me? Yeah. Well, I'll, I, as I mean, I'll have Scott talk about uh, some of the stuff that he's finished reading uh, now because I didn't read him, so I can't talk about it. So Scott, uh, tell us tell us your, about your tell us a story about your stories. Well, I'll tell you, uh, one other thing um, that I uh, recently finished up was a book called Black Moon, a novel by a guy named Kenneth Calhoun. And it really, um, it really, I thought it had a lot of promise as a, as an apocalypse story, uh, because it's the story, the basic problem being that everyone can't sleep, that there is a plague of insomnia and the world is going mad. Not, it's not all at the same time. Right. So the idea that you're like, for those people who can sleep, Oh gee, all I have to do is wait five days or survive five days and it's over. Not everyone's winding down the same way. Not everyone's succumbing to the plague the same way. So there are still crazy people wandering around, violent crazy people wandering around months after it's, it really was publicly acknowledged as, as happening. And for a while, it's just like, gee, I can't help but notice that there are all these, the sleeping pills are all been bought at the local pharmacy. And then, you know, uh, suddenly the CDC is talking about it and then shit is falling apart. And one of the things that goes on in this story is that the the sleepless develop this kind of maniacal hatred for the people who can sleep. And there's a description of a mob tearing a man limb from limb because, how they put it, as if somewhere inside his meat and bones was sleep. And if they could just get to it, if they could just tear it out of him, they could have some. Now that starts Delicious. off. With, yeah. You like that? You're, yes. You're, you're, yeah. Uh, it starts off really strong. And there was a period of time when my wife was having terrible insomnia, terrible headaches uh, because of a sinus problem. And it, this story, I actually had to put it down. It was so disturbing on that level because one of the things that's going on is this guy with, the, with his wife who has insomnia and he's trying to trick her into thinking she's slept, you know, and, and things like that. It reminds me of, there's a bit from where Shackleton was coming back from the Arctic where his ship, uh, you know, uh, was crushed by the ice, Ernest Shackleton. And he's trying to get across the island of St. Georgia. There's like a whaling station on one side, but their little tiny lifeboat ends up on the wrong side of the island. And so there's this mountain in the middle. And he's like, well, we got to get across and get help because everyone's too weak to get back in the water and try and paddle around the island because the storms are going on and everything. They, they can get overturned or crushed in the reefs. So he goes over the, the mountain with his men and apparently, you know, they go, sir, we have to rest. We're exhausted. He's like, okay, everyone will take, we'll rest for an hour. And he'd wake them up like a minute after he was sure they were asleep. Oh, and say, okay, we got to get going. And he said, you had your hour. And they're like, oh, I had my hour. Okay. And they'd start going again because time was ticking down so fast on the guys back on the lifeboat. And the good news is he brought all his people home, uh, but he had to just drive his men like dogs to get them home alive. And uh, so 
he's trying to trick his wife into sleeping. And things are really, the, the book is really, really good at the beginning. And I think that's because the book started off, it feels like it started off as a short story. And the, the short story with the husband and his wife and that stuff is awesome. And then they started added some other stories that just didn't hang on as well. Um, there's this whole... Did it not seem to have continuity with the rest of what was going on? Or Some things were very separate. These, it starts off with very separate characters, much like, you know, Stephen King's uh, The Stand, right? It's an ensemble of characters, and they're all off in places doing different things. And they all come together eventually in the story. But before, you know, we get this young woman who's, whose parents drive her out of the house because, or, or get her to leave because she's... Um, she can sleep and they can't, and they try and attack her. And at one point they, they like handcuff themselves to something so that they can't attack their daughter. And they like break their own wrists to get at her when they're, you know, when they see her sleeping and it's, uh, they try and get her loaded up to be sent off to some sanctuary that people keep talking about where the government's trying to put everyone who can sleep in one place. Um, another part of the story follows these, uh, these uh, sleep uh, uh, study scientists trying to create a way to force the brain to sleep. Eventually they end up with like a, a really fucked up pacemaker that they preset and it's surgically implanted and they drilled holes in your heads to get the stimulus, you know, get the, the contacts into your brain. But yeah, you go to sleep for eight hours, whether you like it or not at exactly these times. So shit better not be going down right now because you need to be because you're gonna go to sleep in five four three two yeah so that's super dodgy um now question uh so now you said people were getting hit by this plague but at, at different times and different stages right so there's always like a a constant uh supply of of the you know the of walker, the, the, yeah. the slow of the sleepless. Okay, because because like you said, they're they once they get it, they only lasted for five days, right? And then they're yeah, dead. That seems to be the case. Um, there's one instance where a guy ends up locking a sleepless guy in a cage in an animal control cage, and you know just watches him try and kill him for you know a day until the guy just dies trying to kill him, whether it's from lack of sleep. Or the fact that he hasn't drunk or eaten anything, you know. But towards the end of the book, about halfway through the book, it got to be a real slog. The opening was super strong. And then I just had to work to come back to this book. I would say, I could read or I could sleep. And if the book doesn't tell me, no, you must read, that's not the best book. So yeah. it, it it ended kind of weak, which I'm sorry to report, but... Uh, you know, it was a really good idea. Um, yeah, the, it concept, just, the concept sounds really good. Oh, yeah. And the idea that, you know, how can we fix it? Well, there's no disease. There's no virus. There's no bacteria. Nobody knows why everyone just stops sleeping. And it happens so fast, there's no time to really get a grip on it. You know what I mean? It's a super fast apocalypse. So I really like that. That's cool. Speaking of uh, apocalyptic books, you know, I won't go into detail, but just real quick, um, as you know, over uh, recently over the last few years, I've been trying to go back and read um, some science fiction classics. You know, like stuff that I didn't read yeah. when I when I was like in middle school and high school. 
So I read uh, Larry Niven's Ring World. Did you ever, yeah. Did you ever read that? Oh, yeah. And uh, I read both that and the sequel. Yeah. It took me a long time to even possibly get into it, but part of it, it's it's kind of... It's kind of a suit. It could kind of you could kind of consider it a pseudo apocalyptic story. Oh, is it Ring World? The the, yes. ring, the ring World itself is a, an apocalyptic setting. Yeah, it was supposed to be this controlled environment that these people, you know, made and it collapsed. Yes, absolutely, so, I agree. So, so it kind of it's kind of apocalyptic, you know, you know, in, in a in a vague sense, you know, so. I'd recently read that. I don't think I'll read the sequels because it, it just, it was like, eh, eh, you know, like a lot of this stuff I've gone back and read. It's like, eh, you know, maybe I would have liked it, you know, uh, 35 years ago, but now I'm kind of like, eh, it wasn't that good, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I, I've done that myself for some other projects because I wanted to study the kind of, um, uh, the kind of science fiction that was, I don't know, a big deal in the in the the, the the so-called golden age of science fiction. So yeah, I, I went and checked out some stuff by Heinlein recently and some Asimov, uh, just to kind of you know uh, remind myself of how they were, how were they doing it back then, you know? Oh yeah, like and, I I read a ton of Asimov in uh, middle school. Yeah, you know. But um, regardless. Um, yeah, normally, generally speaking, no, I, I, it's interesting for what they thought was important. Do you know what I mean in a story? Um, compared to maybe what a modern audience with different sensibilities might think is important. Um, they loved apogee and perigee <laughs> and um, the physics of, uh, of, of, of orbit, right? Um, they loved the fact that not all the planets are going to be on the same side of the solar system, uh, which apparently they forgot in this movie Ad Astra that came out recently. Because apparently, um, uh, Brad Pitt goes from Earth to Mars, Earth to the Moon to Mars, to Jupiter to Saturn to Neptune and Uranus, I think, in that order, uh, just going from the next to the next to the next to the next to the next. Like the planets are all lined up on one side of the solar system, like somebody's uh, old what would you call it? Uh, well, somebody uh, poster, like somebody's uh, 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 a science poster from from, from yeah. school. Well, but there are times when they are. Yes, yes, but they don't address talk that. About, they yeah, don't if, make yeah, if they would have just said, "Hey, you know, this is." this event of apergy or whatever's happening to where they're all in kind of the same side of the universe, the same side of the solar system. Sure. Oh, yeah. But if they don't address it, then it's like, uh, hello. I mean, we could assume that and fill that gap in because, you know, we know, we know things, but you know, the, uh, the mindless masses, um, don't know. Mm-hmm. Shit like don't know shit like that. No, no. Um, but, uh, regardless, um, yeah, uh, it, it could have could have been better. Could have been a lot better. Um, was not uh, it? it moon did, uh, Black Moon, a novel, did not quite work, which is a shame. There was a lot of cool stuff in it. 
And then you, you were saying you had another uh, another story you read. It was like a short story or something. Like oh, yeah. That. Um, I was uh, reading through a, a collection called Wastelands, um, which, let's see here, is uh, edited by uh, John Joseph Adams. Um, there's a collection called Wastelands 2 as well. The main collection, Wastelands, actually has a lot of what I would consider. Um, Dead weight. Well, yeah, well, not just dead weight, but um, sort of uh, uh, non-apocalyptic stories. There's a lot of stuff that is dystopic as opposed to apocalyptic. But there is a Jack Mc, uh, McDevitt story. for the, He's the guy who wrote Eternity Road, which is one of the great post-apocalyptic, you know, stories of all time. And, uh, but uh, the, uh, and, and just absolutely a classic. But, um he wrote another story set in that world, uh, the world of, I guess we'd call it uh, uh, the the road builders. Is that what they were? Is that how they the, referred to the ancient ancients? The road makers. The road makers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but um, the road makers are the the ancients. If for those of you who love your your gamma world, uh, the old world. For if it was Fallout, I guess, and it's set in the same world and. Both. That, because I think it's about, um, I want to say it's something like six to eight hundred years later yeah. from the from the apocalypse. Or A very like long time. Very long time. And the world of Jack Mc, McDevitt's world <sighs> is very high tech. Very, very, very high tech. Um, you know, there's AI to do things like run subway and light transit stations rather than control military complexes. So whatever happened to the road makers, it happened when they were at the pinnacle of their civilization. Yeah, and Scott had told me about that, and I actually had that collection for my Kindle, so I went and I didn't realize that that story was in there. So it was called uh, Never Despair. Yeah, yeah. And it's essentially about the same – it's different characters doing the same mission from uh, Eternity Road. And Eternity Road, they are seeking out a vault – of lost secret knowledge called heaven haven 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 and supposedly all this high-tech knowledge was stored away to help rebuild uh technological civilization and um uh it's been locked away and this is their quest basically and it's a different team from someplace else maybe not even the same sort of alliance of nation states that the first group came from well but no they, well they were i think they reference uh other people from the books see, that's the thing is it's been so long since i read eternity road oh you I, mean like I, other expeditions that were sent out and lost yeah yeah i think it maybe it's it's one of them uh, i'm not 100 percent on that because it's been so long since i read the story so i don't know if that was if they really were separate people or it was just another tale of somebody we already read about, but we didn't see that what happened to him, you know, mm -hmm. like, I don't know if this was something that was cutting room floor material that didn't get into the, you know, like, you know, like the, you know, the publisher said, no, you gotta cut this out, you know, and maybe that, maybe that was supposed to be there, but they took it out. I, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, but, but it was, it, it was, it was the, interesting. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it didn't shake the earth, but it was nice to see him return to the material. Uh, I would certainly beg him to return to that material because I thought it was fan fucking tastic. Well, I, I think always, en always enjoyed 
the world of Eternity Road, except for the the wild mutations, um, it's very Gamble World, very very Gamble World. Oh yeah, well, I, well actually, I don't think he could return. It, it I didn't uh, Jack McDivitt pass away. I do not know. I'd, I'd, I'd have to quickly look him up. But nope, uh, nope, nope. He's still kicking. He's eighty four. Oof, man. Okay, I, that's a lot of time there, sir. But you know, good on you. Please don't be dead until you're ready to be dead. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I want to say he lives in Florida because I think you're right. Because there is uh, a convention in Tampa called Necronomicon. They were doing this like for decades. It not related to Necronomicon in Providence either, mm-hmm. the, the new one or the old one. Not related to any of those. Uh, and he, I remember seeing that he used to he used to go there. So I, th- I think he's local to Florida somewhere. Cool. Just like Pierce Anthony. Pierce Anthony lives in Florida too. You know that? Yes. Uh, I got to see him and John Norman, who wrote all the, he wrote a lot of stuff, but he's always real famous for those gore novels, which I am not a super big fan of. But it was it was Pierce Anthony, John Norman, and Ursula K. Le Guin all did reading and there's one other author who i apologize but he was <laughs> they it was a little tough to bear the stage with Piers anthony you know ursula kayla Gwynn, and uh, uh uh john norman but they all got up there and they did a reading and it was it was back in the 80s and it was kind of fucking astounding to see those guys all perform but uh yeah yeah uh, uh i knew about anthony only because of that yeah, well, I knew about Pierce Anthony because of uh, something you haven't read, Battle Circle, but um, which is a post-apocalyptic novel. Battle Circle. Did not know that. Did not know that Pierce Anthony dabbled in the apocalypse. He did. Um, we'll have to check that out. So, yeah, so there's the Jack McDivitt story, and then I read recently um, Hugh Howie, who we've talked about before, Yes. Uh, who did the Silo series. He did a collection of short stories called... Uh, God, what was it called? I think it was Artificial Intelligence or something it was called. Um, uh, I guess I could always look it up real quick. Um, hold on. Hugh Howie Books. And it was called... It's not Artificial Intelligence. It is... What the frack is that called? Machine learning. That's what it's machine called. Machine learning. Okay. M- machine learning. I, and it was something like that. Uh, machine learning. And it, there were some interesting little stories in it. Uh, but they, he did have one story that returned to the Silo universe. Oh, good. Okay. Um, it was kind of, uh, it was still kind of, it was a short story. It was before and after. It was a before scenario with a bunch of other people, with some other people. Mm-hmm. And who found out about what was going on and tried to create their own um, silos or kind of bunkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, if you could track it down, it's interesting to read. I'm not going to really spoil for people, but it's interesting what happens because they don't have the full information. I'll just leave it like that. Yeah. So, yeah. They don't know what this is really going to be like, but it's, it's interesting. Um, and then it also comes back to some of the other characters that we, uh, left off at the end of uh, uh, at the end of the silo series, how they kind of got out of the, of the silos, and it kind of touches a little bit on what's been going on with them. It's like it's like a little bit down the road. So, 
Um, just for that little short story, it, to me, it was worth just hearing that, just to, just to hear those characters again, you know, and get a little bit more in that universe. Yeah. No, I agree. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, re- I, for one, am happy to revisit the Silo universe. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's interesting. So if you could track machine learning down, uh, I would do it. Cool. I will definitely take a look because again, uh, uh, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. All right. Uh, well, shit. What else we got? We talked about. Um, oh, speaking of, we talked about um, not non apocalypse related, but uh, well, kind of, sort of is uh for those of you who are gamers who listen to our podcast who are you know gamers like us um if you didn't know this but uh if you didn't know who he was Rick Loomis of Flying Buffalo passed away uh last month back in August and yeah. so so people who don't know who he is so people who don't know who he is Rick Loomis uh best known for Tunnels and Trolls publishing that with Ken St. Air and the Nuclear War card game, as well as the Grimtooth series of traps and city books. So Rick started doing stuff in the early 70s, doing play-by-mail games. Yeah. Play-by-mail games. Uh, he picked up the Nuclear War card game from somebody, started publishing them, uh, formed Flying Buffalo, got with, and after D&D came out, Ken St. Air made Tunnels and Trolls, which is which was more tongue-in-cheek Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and a uh, different system. But, uh, you know, he's always he was always at Gen Con, always at lots of shows. He was also uh, one, of the, one of the first presidents at Gamma. He was always at Origins, you know. And uh, every Gen Con I would go, I would talk to the dude. You know, he was, he was, he was just a nice guy, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, yet again, a lesser-known person in the old guard. So unless, like, you're really into the hobby, you might not know who he is or who flying Buffalo is at all. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, they published the 70, the, um, the lost worlds combat mm-hmm. books, you know, one-on-one combat books, ace of aces combat books, you know, world war one flying planes. So, uh, he was an important part of, of the gaming, uh, industry, you know, and little by little we're, we're losing those people. And cause they're all getting old and they get sick. You know, he was only like, and there's, know, there's, there's not a lot of health insurance that goes along with publishing. No, he, uh, he was only like 70, 72, maybe was it 72. I think he wasn't that old, you know, but he, again, he got cancer. So, uh, That'll but, do I, it. but I think people are, you know, after they're, they're dealing with the aftermath and they're trying to like Steve, Steve Crompton, uh, Compton, who, uh, Crompton, Compton, uh, I got his business card here. Crompton, uh, artist, Man, it was a, is the manager of Flying Buffalo now, and he's working with uh, Rick's sisters to kind of get their Kickstarters done because they did Kickstarters for Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes. They put that out back in the eighties, so they're going to try to keep the um, you know to keep the game the game company going, you know, because Ken St. Air is still around and some other people. So for those of again those of you who knew know anything about the gaming industry, we lost Rick Loomis. So those of you who don't, there you just got a super high level um, history lesson on uh, the, the the gaming industry uh, and some of the people who are in that. So, uh, so we lost him and what about old guard? Oh, um, I'm turning this into the um show. <laughs> Not to mention the, uh, the, uh, uh, 
as we're going from one lost great to another, it's like as we lament the, the death of our childhood. Why didn't they end it in nuclear fire? You know, so we could go out with a little style. Why does it all have to pass slowly into the in, into the, the the abyss or something like that? I don't know. I know it's uh, it's 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 not going down a blaze of glory. That's for no. sure. No. Uh, James Ward, who we've talked about and mentioned many times on the show, uh, creator of Metamorphosis Alpha, and was a co-author on uh, Gamma Worlds. Mm-hmm. He he has. Uh, finished a project with, I can't remember the, the artist's name, but um, they have mapped out the entire Starship Warden. Oh, yeah. They've mapped out the entire ship and the in, and the in-between levels, too. Because, you know, a, sh- a ship's going to have in-between levels, so it's like, I think it's all 17 levels, plus all the in-betweens. Mm-hmm. They've completely mapped it out. And they're going to, and he worked with an artist to do that, did all the writing, He's working with Troll Lord Games, who he's done work for them because they have their own game system. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, he's working with them, and they're going to put out a Kickstarter, I think, next month in October for this book. It's supposed to be like a like a couple hundred page book, you know, with all the the maps, the whole Starship Ward. And so, for those of you who don't know what that is, Star uh, Metamorphosis Alpha was a post apocalyptic in space role playing game. Basically, it was basically it was a dungeon crawl in space with mutants. Yep, yep, I can live with all that. So that that's going to be coming out soon. So guys, keep a keep an eye out for that. You know, go to Kickstarter and look up Metamorphosis Alpha frequently. It's going to come out sometime next month. So I got so we got that. Uh, what else has been going on? What what else? What else? Uh, what else did you have? Have you seen Apocalypse Wise, Mister Glancy? Uh, well, um. I think that might be it for the moment. Uh, oh, um, I know I've said it before, and I really want to devote some time to it in the future. we got to get back to, um, uh, what is that damn film called? Uh, post-apocalyptic film called um, The Domestics, I think it's called. Uh, good, low-budget. Yeah, a good low-budget, uh, well-made, um, post-apocalyptic uh, movie. I think you'll enjoy it when you finally get to see it. I just want to remind you of it. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, I was very happy with it. Um, want, more, want, want, uh, uh, want more of that, please. Uh, low-budget, uh, well with it, but they still managed to do a lot of good stuff. That's cool. Yeah, we'll get around to doing this because this first show, for those who who hear, is our experiment with our new recording methods, and we'll yes. see as long as it's successful. Because I have to do post work now uh, for this, and uh, it shouldn't be too terrible. But uh, if it's successful, we'll be able to just start cranking stuff out on a regular basis. There is just going to be no more join us live because that doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I do want to mention something about. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, eventually, I want to mention about Fallout, but we can save that until you've chimed in with your any other apocalypse stuff that has come up um, uh, around you. I would point out that the guys over at Crooked Dice Games ran a Kickstarter recently for some pulp stuff, but before then, they've been doing Kickstarters for amazing 
28 millimeter uh, post-apocalyptic figures. What, what, was it, what was the company again? Crooked Dice Games. They specialize in doing these uh, miniatures that are sort of off-brand of uh, actual uh, British TV series and things. Like, they did uh, stuff that looks like Space 1999 but isn't licensed, or looks like Captain Scarlet, or looks like uh, uh, UFO, or some of these, uh, or The Prisoner. They've got frickin' miniatures of Patrick McGowan really? from The Prisoner. Really? Oh, Yes. Yes, including a little set, so it's the control room with the chair. Really? And, yes, really. And uh, there's a uh, Leo McKern miniature, and there's a uh, a couple of citizens with those weird vacation they got, they, outfits they, that they seem to have in the village. They, they got a Leo McKern as number two. Wow. Yes, yes, they do. He was he was one of the best number twos. Yeah, uh, but um, and I always love it. The new number two. There's never any consistency here. Go back to the to the the, the house to, to give the guy in charge a, a hard time. And son of a bitch, he's gone. They've replaced him with a completely new guy to be a problem. Do they have did they have a miniature of uh what's his name? Uh Muscat, the uh the oh, 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 I do not think so. They may have Slackers. The supervisor, you know, yellow alert, but I don't think they actually had orange that. alert. Orange alert, yes, it's orange, orange alert. Yeah, you wow, got they, that. they got the prisoner, and you said they got UFO too. Uh, I believe they do. Um, they they they, uh, they, they, they they have Ed Straker, commander they, they, of they shadow. Absolutely have a miniature of Ed Straker. Wow, absolutely. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out. Um. The, yeah, and they get a lot of stuff, but they also have some stuff that this sort of they've sort of invented TV shows of their own. Uh, and one of the things they've got is these uh, miniatures, uh, these post-apocalyptic miniatures, including these very module, very modular twenty-eight millimeter resin models of various vehicles that you can strap different uh, packages of outside gear, you know, to the. Uh, uh, to the outside of the vehicles to give them different, you know, apocalypse survivor packages, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But one of the great things they've got in their, you know, uh, miniatures, they have the traffic warden with the fucking uh, L1A1 or whatever it is, the, 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 uh, the rifle. The traffic warden with his face bandaged and the rifle from threats. From threats. Wow. Yes, they do. Yes, these, they do. These guys sound cool. They got that part right, didn't they? Oh yeah. So again, folks, yeah, again, we're not talking about the apocalypse right now, but again, we we're you know we're that much of nerds that we're gonna oh, the oh prisoners, wait. UFO, all that stuff. It's 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 all related, man. It's all what made us who we are today. But yeah, they've got an apocalypse line of minis that are very, very good. I really like them. Um, there and used to be another line uh, that was called um, like uh, it was something like Apocalypse 1957 that was very, very much based on um, it was almost like a miniature line based on Six, Six String Samurai. Oh wow! Only only one man could only one man could kill that many Russians. Bring me his guitar. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Um, 
but yeah, the the uh, Crooked Dice games is absolutely worth your time. Crooked Dice games. Oh yeah. Crooked Dice games. Yep. Cool. Oh, speaking of post-apocalypse uh, miniatures, because uh, I know you go to this website, I've been seeing some people post something about Hero Forge. Isn't there some kind of almost mutants that you can make now on well, Hero Forge? Because they have like they look like they have something that's almost like a hoop or something, you know? They do. They finally got a rabbit person, and the, as soon as they did that, there was an explosion of people uh, over on the Facebook page for Gamma World uh, making hoops and putting all the military gear on them. Um, the thing about Hero Forge is they don't have a lot of, they have like a lot of Wild West clothes, fantasy clothes, um, science fiction clothes for the characters and gear. So it's actually not bad for making Gamma World figures um, because the science fiction stuff plus the fantasy stuff kind of makes Gamma World, you know? So I actually think it's a, I think it's really good, you know? Well, that's cool. Very cool. Uh, what else? Yeah, I, uh, I, I got one more thing to bring up, and then and then we'll let you uh, close uh, on some thoughts on Fallout. Okay. So I know you want to talk about Fallout a little bit here. Yeah. And I, and I'll talk about Fallout too, because I'll talk about Fallout seventy six just briefly. Okay. All right. So, a friend of mine posted on my Facebook page for a restaurant called Rex Baron. And uh, they apparently have a, this is a restaurant that's opening up in Boca Raton, Florida. For those of you who don't know, that's in Southeast Florida. I used to, I lived in that area for 36 years. So um, they also have um, another restaurant. I think it's in, God, I don't remember where it is. It's somewhere somewhere else that's like supposedly like a Mad Max kind of thing. But so anyway, this place called Rex Baron. Um, I read the article on it. It's in Boca Raton. To me, it just seems like it's a Boca Raton money grab for Boca money, you know, so people can think they're cool. It's supposedly this post-apocalyptic themed restaurant because this guy thinks that, well, in the apocalypse, survivors are going to eat their, heat their food on rocks. Oh, that's right. You have to cook your food, yeah. don't you? Yeah, so you got to cook your own food. Well, no, but they no, not not everything because they have some like table side cooking, but again on rocks. So I read the article. So basically, it sounds like Rex Baron. It says it's a post apocalyptic restaurant with with virtual reality and IV bag cocktails. So IV bag cocktails. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're they're trying too hard. So basically, the restaurant, the way I see it is it's the melting pot. <laughs> Cook your own food. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like the melting pot. Um, the melting pot crossed with TGI Fridays because the decorations are kind of like they have like dummies with like post-apocalyptic clothes on. But the thing is, everything I read about the, what they're dressing them with, they're all like high-end fashion clothes. So it's not really dirty and gritty. So it's just kind of more like for show, like, oh, look, we're apocalyptic. And then they throw in this random ass um, virtual reality game room attached to it where you could drink uh, cocktails from an IV bag. And it's like, well, what is he? What is he? Uh, I know you're trying to be Dave and Buster's, you know, or something. <laughs> it's it's like it's like a TGI Friday melting pot Dave and Buster's kind of place. 
mm-hmm. but it's a but the VR doesn't fit with the apocalyptic theme, and then also they charge like two to two to four dollars a minute to play the games. So fuck that shit. Minute. A minute. A minute. For those who didn't hear me, a minute. But um, yeah. So Rex. Yeah. Okay. So folks, uh, yeah. If you um, well, if you're in Boca Raton area and coming October, if you want to check out this Rex Baron place. Or you want to read about it, you know, and say that if, you wanna, if you want to spend two to four dollars a minute, or or you want to, they call it a vid, uh, vigilantes, uh, Rex Baron, a vigilante post, because they call like um, dining uh, patrons are known as survivors and must cook their hamburgers and steaks <laughs> on a lava rock heated to six hundred and fifty degrees. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, so um, I'm kind of dubious. I, I, I'm not. I'm not into it. It's like my friends like, oh, you got to come down. It's like no, no, because oh yeah, the yeah Rex stands for a restaurant entertainment experience with an X because putting an X for E is edgy. That's um, super fucking edgy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's like that. That's like '90s, you know, uh, edgy. Um, it's like um, extreme extremeness. Um, that is pretty extreme. It is, and apparently they had a. Oh, that's where it is. It's uh, there's a restaurant called Mad Rex in Philadelphia that opened in 2017. I don't know if it's still open, but um, hey. But anyway, that's that's my take on this place. Uh, mm-hmm. pro- probably people think I'm. Oh, you're wrong, Jared. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that's fine by me. No no issues. No worries. So, uh, yeah, Fallout 76. Uh, I read a lot of bad reviews online about it. People said it was terrible because it's basically it's a multiplayer game that's always active. And, you know, I, I got it like cheap. It was like super on sale and I wanted to check it out. And it's I thought it was pretty crappy. Yeah. Yeah. They, they can't all be winners, sir. Yeah, everybody's like, you know, well, if you really like the crafting part of it, and that's all it really is, it's like crafting, and maybe you get with people and attack things. It's it's just it's a weird game. I think they're supposed to be putting some kind of battle ro- battle royale aspect to it because of the popularity of Fortnite and um, Apex or something like that. You know, those uh, pop- popular battle royale games. So they're trying to cash on that. But I picked it up a few months ago, and I haven't picked it up since. So. Yeah, it's 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 not good. Um, I should I should have listened. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, moving along to uh, my general thoughts on Fallout, and I was just going to say that um, now uh, you've you picked up seventy six. You've played some of it. Have you heard anything about the uh, plans to change it? Because apparently, player generated content appears to have failed. There's some talk about creating NPCs and just turning it into a regular Fallout experience. Oh, to turn that game into that? No, yeah. I have no, I, I haven't been tracking on that at all. Okay, there's been some talk about trying to to sort of I don't know, uh, return it to a single player platform, uh, or at least return it to a, uh, a an NPC populated platform. 
how about that? Um, but, uh, you know, so far, you know, I, I don't know how far along there I've heard, you know, just, just, there's just rumors through Facebook and things like that. Um, regardless, uh, what I wanted to say about Fallout was I was really, it just struck me. I, I haven't played four yet because I promised I wouldn't touch Fallout until I got done with a Kickstarter and I should, uh, should well be done with this Kickstarter by now. But, um, I was reminded about it, and I had looked at some of one of Fallout's uh, wikis and um, uh, poked around that a little bit, and it suddenly occurred to me that there's this really impressive thing that their writing has done. When their writing is at the, at the top of its form, and admittedly, in some ways, Fallout 3 is not the best writing, but when it's really at the top of its form for me, what Fallout does is this thing where they will take you know, your implacable enemy from the first thing you've encountered and sort of turn it on its head. Um, there was an original ending for Junktown in Fallout 1 where if you side with the law and order guy, Killian Darkwater, the result is a town that never fully develops to its full potential and never really takes off as a, you know, a bastion of civilization. It's just always sort of a backwater um, but if you back the horrible gangster who runs the local casino, um, the town becomes a thriving settlement. That was one of the original things they were going to do um, and sort of demonstrate that, you know, whoops, it maybe it doesn't always work out the way you hope. Um, later, of course, you know, when you're done wiping out the master and the super mutants in uh, Fallout 1, uh, they turn up again in Fallout 2 when they're not the main antagonist, but they're around. Sometimes you'll run into mutants, individual mutants, and they'll be hostile and you'll kill them out in the wasteland. But there's a town where the mutants that used to be working for the master who was going to change all of humanity into super mutants and therefore eliminate all racism and classism and everyone would work together and be able to live in an environment where they could shrug off the rads like they were nothing. Um, you find out that, you know, uh, you you find a completely different uh, world. And in fact, one of your companions can be Jacob, the super mutant who later turns up in fallout in Vegas, uh, voiced by uh, Michael Dorn, um, where it's like, you know, uh, he's perfectly reasonable. He's got most of his brains intact and he's just like, you know, uh, trying to make a life for himself after the destruction of the unity, which is what they were going to call their, their were their project to make everybody the same and everybody uh, united towards one purpose for, a, you know, and um, suddenly the mutants show up and they're just kind of pathetic. You know, the super mutants are kicking your ass all over the place and you were shooting their way through all their stuff. They show up and they're kind of lame. They're kind of useless. The brotherhood of steel who shows up in fallout one is very useful and they're very sidelined and they do not want to get involved with the new problem in Fallout 2. Well, the new problem is the Enclave, uh, which returns again and again. Uh, certainly they show up in Fallout 3, and they're just very much a reboot of, almost right down to their basic plans, they're a reboot of who they were and what they were up to in Fallout 2. Kill everyone with a modified FEV virus that'll wipe out every mutated animal or human on the planet, except those who've been staying in the vaults, like the Enclave, and haven't emerged yet. Um, that's almost identical. But then we get around to Fallout, you know, New Vegas, the, the, you run into the Enclave, who've been wiped out, who you defeated in the first Fallout game. And they're kind of old and pathetic and run down, and their empire's been wiped out, and 
they become sort of figures of of uh, of of pity almost, and you can almost understand what their point of view was. You know why they did what they did, why they thought they were on the right side. Strange enough, in that one, New Vegas, even the mutants uh, are still around. Jacob, who was your companion in two, now is the boss of a settlement called Jacobstown. Actually, that's not right. Jacobstown was named for a mutant that died founding the place. That's Marcus is the name of Michael Dorn's characters, Marcus. But, um, you know, the characters who were, again, the bad guys one time, you know, you smash them. Now they're kind of pitiable figures. Hell, there's even a mutant uh, uh, called Bad Son of a Bitch uh, who is a mutant who has a speech impediment because his tongue was cut out by, you know, human settlers who were, who caught him and were torturing him and mutilating him for stuff that, you know, other mutants had done. Right. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, finally, you know, you get to, like I said, uh, the, the guys who are your, you know, your big buddies in uh, fallout one, uh, the brother of, of steel aren't very useful in uh, number two, uh, the big useful guys of the uh, the New California Republic, and they're pretty dodgy too. Everything's gray zone on them to a certain extent. I mean, sure, they outlaw slavery, but you know they'll they'll screw you up uh, if you've got drugs on you. Uh, if you draw a weapon in one of their settlements, they gun you down on the spot. You don't even have to aim it at anyone. You just have your weapons out. Um, uh, they manipulate communities into joining them by hiring mercenaries to pretend to be marauders to attack communities. So they'll come to the NCR and say, "Oh, we we need your we need your help. We'd love some taxes." So they're kind of a problem, and certainly they are back in New Vegas, and they're beating up on the Brotherhood of Steel, who were your big buddies in three. You know, you saved the world with the Brotherhood of Steel, but in in back in California, on the opposite of the uh, country. They're on the run and they're hiding under rocks for the end from the NCR that is out there, you know, being imperialistic. Once upon a time, they're stopping slavery, but now they're just taking over places and doing a half-assed job of it. And, you know, uh, 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 running over communities who do they want to join? Nope, they don't get a choice. They're joining the NCR. Um, suddenly they're sort of imperialists, you know, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, Brotherhood of Steel are sort of a spent force and sort of backwards looking and kind of a problem. Uh, and then, of course, there's Fallout 4, where, you know, Fallout 3, the Brotherhood of Steel, you save the world with them. Fallout 4, are we the baddies? I mean, their solution to problems is, I know, genocide. We can fix this with genocide. There's so many things we can fix with genocide. And it's really uncomfortable where you're like, oh, shit, I don't know if the Brotherhood of Steel is the good guys on this. And what I love about this this constant turn, I've, yeah, I've gone on for a while, is they're oh, not no, afraid. No. They're not afraid to take your 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 beloveds. Oh, they and, they, they and they turn get, them they, on you. Oh, they get yeah. you out of your comfort zone for sure. Yeah. Yes, and they're they they're they'll take your beloveds and turn them into you know the enemy, and they'll take the guys who were the implacable enemy one minute and give them a face and. And motives and that, you know, and families. And that is really good writing. That is when the Fallout franchise is absolutely firing on all eight cylinders, is when they're able to take something that you thought you had a handle on, good and evil, who's the bad guy here? I mean, back when they would do top flight moral dilemmas like uh, The Pit, which I thought was one of the 
moral moral dilemma dilemma where you know there was just felt like there was no good answer to which side to back in the pit you know that's when i really think they're doing their best writing um and I uh, just wanted to point that out because it just it just occurred to me as I was going through, you know, looking at some of the stuff and reminiscing and going, God damn, I love that franchise. Yeah, I know the Fallout 4 is not that great. Fallout 4 may, well, Fallout 4 sounds fine, but 76 seems to have problems and whatever. But you know what? Um, if they can get back to that kind of writing, I'll be there for five. Yeah, no, 4, four is not, four is not, it's pretty good. I mean, they, they, it's a big thing on creating a community and, you know, doing all these weird missions and pick, picking sides, but just the, the land is interesting. And the st- I find the stuff that they have there. And then once you start going to some of these other places and these different things, you know, these different uh, adventures you could go on and go to these different places, it, it's, it's pretty, you know, different factions, you know, now you have the, you know, the, the robots, the, the androids to deal with. It's a whole different, you know, set of problems Four is pretty good, but yeah, 76, the, the concept of, only player characters kind of, it kind yeah, of it's like, flat. it's like it fell flat. briefing. Yeah. You know, it, ki- like... it, it kind of fell flat. And then it's like, you're like, you're, you, you're building a camp and then you want to build this camp to put vending machines to get people to buy stuff so you can make money so you can build other stuff. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know? I'll tell you, I have, I, I, I get that, but that was always my urge in, uh, that was always sort of my urge in playing Fallout. It's like, I want to be able to, when you go to a community and improve it, you know, through your actions, and the game would allow these communities to improve sometimes. You'd go in and, like, things would be better later uh, because of actions you did. That was always something I wanted to do. And just just to point out how what a weirdo I was for doing that, I became the uh, Fallout 3's, uh, I became Fallout 3's, uh, guns and armor fairy where I would just go around with my sneak of whatever it was a hundred or my Chinese stealth suit on. And I would go to every community. I'd find characters who were sleeping and I would reverse pickpocket armor that I had repaired up to a hundred percent to give them better <laughs> armor and weapons. I would sneak better weapons in. If the character would only use a knife, I'd like, okay, I'm going to get one of those. Um, what are the buzz saws called? Uh, the, the chainsaw swords. I can't uh, remember what they're called. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I oh, I can't remember. Yeah, but you know, I'd get I'd do that, or if they, you know, and, and it wouldn't always be power armor. I'd just like try and get them better armor that was upgraded for you know for them to keep them alive because it was a game where random encounters could sometimes wander into communities and wipe them out. So. Uh, I would start doing shit like that. I would, you know, um, again, I described myself as the the weapons and armor upgrade fairy, where just you know, coming at night, and kids would wake up with with a new plasma rifle under their bed, you know, because <laughs> you know, I just I want to I want to fix everything. I want to make all these communities work, you know. So that was that was the ridiculous things that I would. Do. So I'm very much looking forward. Well, with uh, Ford, you could that. you could you could build your community. Like I, I when you were over here once, I showed you what I did with um, the the community that I had. You know, I I basically surrounded it, you know, with walls, so so people couldn't get wander through, and there was only one gate to get through. And I had guard towers in all kinds of points, and I'd have people there, and I'd make them guards and make them do guard duty and give them weapons, and I yeah, built yeah, yeah. 
I wound up building like a couple of android like robots to like defend, and every once in a while I'd start hearing like gunfire because uh, I had I had like turrets everywhere because there's like a compa- there's a limit to how much stuff you could put in your town. Yes, yes, of course. So, so I had to start like redoing stuff because I was like, what What do you mean I have a limit? I got plenty of land to do stuff, but. I would, you know, go look outside and there'd be like carnage everywhere from like people like approaching from one of the sides and I'd hear something, I'd go check it out. I'd see like the turrets going and guards up there shooting and then I'd go outside and be like, oh, look, loot, you know, and because there'd be yeah, like, yeah, it's just free junk from all the guys who just got blasted. Oh, yeah, there'd be stuff everywhere, you know. Uh, it's interesting. I, I got to come back to it. I built like my own little house that had like, you know, display i'd like this because they, they had all kinds of stuff to where you could just there's like too much to build that's why i don't like the crap <laughs> thing oh no you 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 could get lost in that for days like literally like real time days just i was like building a house and i put weapons rack it's like well i'm not going to use this but i want to keep this i have all these weapon racks displaying weapons and i had like every type of suit of armor on a stand like in the back of the bottom floor so are they and, actually on fucking like mannequins and shit is that how far you went oh yeah yeah that's that's a deep rabbit hole. Oh, yeah, except I couldn't figure out the best way to uh, keep those assholes in my town from wandering into my house and sitting on my furniture and shit. So, um, <laughs> Landlines! Well, no, there's a way you could, like, do things like create doors and open and lock, but I, could never, I was never able to figure that out properly. So I would just have to, like, make sure everybody was out of there. Then I'd, like, I'd take away the door, you know, and just put a wall there so they couldn't get in there when I wasn't there. Because, like, I don't want to come in and they're, like, sleeping in my bed. It's like, get the fuck out of my bed, loser, you know? <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, so yeah, uh, nobody needs ghostly locks in the post-apocalypse. That's just no, nobody no, no. But uh, but yeah, we'll see if they do something with seventy-six. You know, I still never finished four. Like, cause you know, I got sidetracked with other things, and it wound up being you know incomplete. But I'll get back to it one day and work, finish stuff. Because I kept on going on ta- side tangents of like I didn't follow the main story. I was doing all this, you know. You know, these games, you do all the side missions. Like, you know, I want to go into the area that's outside the map that's full of radiation. I want to see what's there, explore as far as I can, because I can. Why can't we get beyond the glowing sea? Because that's as far as the programmers want to go. But they made crunch time for 18 months. They need a break. But they would, uh, in this game, they did give you, you could go into it a little bit and encounter stuff, you know. So uh, it was interesting. So it's, it's good. It's a good game. So. All right. Uh, well, we'll wrap. We'll, we'll end it on Fallout because we're a little over an hour here, and we'd yeah. like to try. I want to try to go in forward, folks. Try to keep the shows to about an hour because in the past when we have those long episodes, like hour and a half, two hours. It's just it's a long slog for you to listen. So I figured an hour is a pretty good time slot, you know, uh, to fill. So we're going to try to keep to that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right, folks. So that's it. Uh, so we talked about a lot of. Uh, a lot of stuff off topic as usual. Uh, you know, we're, you know, like I said, I'm going to test the technology, see how challenging it is to get things up like they used to be. Uh, but again, if you're listening to it, I succeeded. Yay. And then we're going to continue uh, just doing what we're doing. And uh, we'll start going back to recording shows on a somewhat regular basis, you know, because this is show 80. We need to hit that 100 mark. So oh, at the start. very least, I don't think we're allowed to. We're not allowed to retire the show until at least a century. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, we're not going to retire the show. It's just, we just got to get back there and do it. But now, and once we find the, uh, a way to 
do it again. We'll uh, we'll get going and we'll start to because there's there's so much stuff to always talk about, you know. So because we, we could talk about uh, what's what's what was the German show? Dark Matter. Oh yeah, uh, um, the dark. Dark. We could talk about the dark because that goes for post. That goes apocalyptic. Oh yes, it does. It does go post apocalypse. Yeah, you know, so all kinds of stuff to talk about, folks. So, all right. Anyway, folks, uh, thank you for uh, bearing with us. Thank you for listening to us. We appreciate that. And uh, that's it, folks. We will see you in the wastelands. Good night. Good night. This episode of Podcast at Ground Zero has been brought to you by Hobo Soup. Hobo Soup, when you have to make do with what you got. Now available in apocalypse size. Keep up to date with us by visiting podcast at groundzero.com and subscribe to the blog via email.